0: Hello. Sorry about that. Wait, I'd almost forgotten about this podcast, honestly, until I found it on Spotify. We are on Spotify now. Search for Tales of the Imperium" if you want to listen to it there. Unfortunately, I don't have much more material to read. A publisher expressed interest in the horror novella I wrote and the last couple paramperium stories I've written were accepted into anthologies. Ancient Infections was accepted into Thurston Howell's Purgatorio, that's spelled like the second book of the Divine Comedy by Dante with two R's to be a furry pun while the Jansen incident is going to be in Paradiso. Previously, my horror story Anthropagy was published in their Seven Deadly Sins anthology, but I skipped submitting to Inferno. I'll look into recording previews of those stories for the podcast. Now, I did get permission to repost anthropophagy elsewhere, but it's a lot gorier than most stories I've read here. I'll only read it if anybody expresses interest in it. Now, so this isn't simply announcements, I believe I'll explain some of the Perimperium settings for technologies. Conversion Drive the primary means of interstellar travel in the Federation and most surrounding systems. Magnetic monopoles are passed through a mass of hydrogen. The atoms the monopoles come into contact with are converted to antimatter, which reacts with the surrounding hydrogen, catalyzing a fusion reaction that provides thrust. In theory, it is safer than most antimatter, matter-catalyzed fusion in that it does not require carrying a large quantity of antimatter, but merely a small amount of reusable monopoles. The thrust achievable is far greater than normal fusion torches, and its acceleration exceeds that of solar sails. A typical cruising speed for interstellar voyages is half the speed of light, but velocities up to 0.7c have been retorted. Stargates. A typical stargate is a ring with a 10 kilometer diameter, but the actual mouth of the wormhole is a 500 meter sphere located at the precise center of the stargate. The stargate has no control over the actions of the wormhole. It simply marks its location and provides a base for the Federal Guard who defend the wormhole, or the system on the far side. Ships can enter a wormhole from any angle and come out the other mouth, but for convenience's sake, most star stargates are oriented perpendicular to the solar system's plane so that ships coming from a planet in the system can make a more or less straight run through the ring. They rocket out from one star system, pass through a wormhole, and keep on going into the interior of the net system. Most details on the construction of wormholes are considered top secret, but what has been revealed is that when the root is first laid down, the wormhole is very narrow, measured in nanometers, and then mouths are transported in magnetic bottles. When both mouths are in place, they are released, and large quantities of exotic matter are fed into the more coreward mouth, Somehow, this props the wormhole open and expands it slowly over the course of several years until finally it reaches its full half-kilometer diameter. For some unknown reason, every wormhole mouth has been placed no less than 100 astronomical units from a celestial body of planetoid size or greater. There are many hypotheses why this is. Most of them are not good. Some say that wormholes are inherently unstable and only need a little push to explode with enough force to shatter nearby planets. Others say that they conflict with significantly sized gravity wells, or perhaps the Federation wants to delay potential invaders who might think of using their technology against them. A lot of people think it's a mixture of all three. Regardless, the overall effect on society is that a conversion-drive starship at full throttle takes at least a week to reach a stargate from the inner system of a sol type star, a couple hours if they had come in from interstellar space without decelerating, Almost stargate network-exclusive craft require a month or two to build up the speed. Quantum entanglement. Quantum entangled particles are primarily used in four ways. The first dates back to pre-Exodus Earth, when they were used to make keys for unbreakable encryption of radio or optical communications. As QE parts are mass-produced these days, a lot of companies or government agencies use them for secure internal communications. Even a few wealthy individuals use them to keep their communications private. The second is quantum computing, which was only solved a couple years after interplanetary travel began. The teleportation properties of QE parts enabled immense leaps in computing speed, and their fuzziness allowed computers to think beyond binary. The third was the severed wall testing claims of paranormal abilities. It seems that there are entangled particles suffusing the universe, but most of them are found in close proximity to one another. However, if two people happen to each have one of a pair of Tiwi parts integrated into the permanent structure of a neuron, it appears they can share thoughts. Naturally, the strongest connections turned out to be between monozygotic twins those who split off from a single fertilized egg. These twins could communicate instantly to each other across light years. Unfortunately, their resolution was poor. Most only managed to get across feelings or sensations. A few very lucky pairs have managed to send images. The majority of telepaths used for communication have to enter a state of altered consciousness in which one partner nudges the other's vocal apparatus or hand to make them speak or write. Due to the inefficiencies of this method of communication, the fourth major use of QE parts was eventually invented, Tom links. QE part comm links can transmit text, audio, even video by quantum teleportation. Unfortunately, the instrumentation used to read the particles on the receiving end changes the quantum state of the particle, and causes the connection to break. Eventually, the paired links need a fresh supply of QE parts. Nanofabrication. The real driver of the Exodus. Nanofabrication, in its most common form, takes the principle of a 3D printer and adds the ability to extrude individual atoms. As the nozzle passes over the object being fabricated, Millions of microscopic machines on the head of the nozzle adhere atoms to the item in successive layers. Unfortunately, this process is so delicate that it requires a sealed compartment with no free-floating particles. Preferably hard vacuum, though items that can't handle vacuum may be fabricated in a neutral gas or distilled water. Still, most dwellings in the Federation have at least one nanofabricator that is approximately the size of a microwave for making food or appliances. The better off get one the size of a refrigerator or even their garage. As they can make 100% of their own parts and can extract most of the needed resources from dirt or waste products, Underwent homelessness, even ill health are considered not to happen in the Tor worlds. A major breakthrough in manufacturing was the advent of modular swarms, small bug-like robots that cooperated to nanofabricate large objects. Small bots in a swarm had nanofab heads, others gathered raw materials from the environment, and yet another category, the vast majority of any swarm, interlocked with one another to enclose the entire operation in a nano-friendly environment. And they were self-replicated. A small starter swarm of one gatherer, one faber, and two dozen or so containers could become thousands given time and resources. Unfortunately, swarms are much slower than conventional nanofabricators so they are generally only used if the owner cannot afford an enclosed device in the necessary size. A shipyard with industrial-scale nanofabricators can produce a starship in a matter of months. A swarm takes years if not decades, but many wannabe tramp traders are willing to wait. Starships often have nanofabricators that can be bootstrapped into portable factories, capable of generating a showroom full of trade goods, a fleet of drones, or enough prefab structures to house a colony. Implants. Cybernetics are rarely used for replacement these days. Bioprinting enables a limb to be replaced with ease within days, however, they have some use for augmentation. On many high-tech worlds, the majority of the population has at least two implants. The most common are medical microbots. microscopic but not quite nanostopic robots that can move cells around and st- emulate growth to patch up wounds, eliminate pathogens, and halt aging. They can even repair brain damage, though legally a person is considered dead when 60% of their brain is destroyed. Another type of brain implant has been around far longer. A brain-computer interface uses a combination of electrodes and optogenetics to form a direct link between the user's brain and a variety of electronic devices. There are many different brands and models of BCI. The most common uses a smartphone-like device typically implanted at the base of the cranium that can be used for a variety of purposes. Usually, communication without audible speech and augmented reality, which most worlds have networks of. Other BCI implants are specialized for things such as teleoperation of robotic Waldos, virtual reality, and memory backup. Memory backup implants record sensory data as the user experiences it, usually to be uploaded to an external device every so often and can be replayed at will. Unfortunately, everyone experiences things a little differently. Playing in someone else's memories can be confusing or disorienting. In some cases, it can even cause brain damage. General-use BCIs are capable of most specialized tasks, but are less efficient or have less on-site memory. Unfortunately for telepaths, optogenetic modification appears to unsync the QE parts in their altered neurons, weakening their links, many do not use t- BCIs at all. Many of them wear glasses or contacts that enable them to access augmented reality and are controlled by external neural sensors, with far less precision than implants. Subvocal pickups are another older type of implant, which were popular in the pre-Exodus days when BCI implantation was perceived as too risky. They consist of a small microphone placed around the larynx, which can detect the smallest movements and vocalizations, enabling the user to speak inaudibly to others wirelessly, and a speaker in one or more cochlea. These days, subvocals are only used in the Federation by those paranoid of brain hacking and telepaths but there are many outlier worlds where local medicine isn't up to the task of brain surgery. Perhaps the most radical augmentation is shape-shifting, a variation on medical microbots capable of making changes far beyond that necessary for survival. They can move fat, muscle, and bone tissue from one part of the body to another, and dye skin and hair in response to commands issued from the user's BCI. In a day or two a life, Felid woman can look like a brawny tailed tainted male, for example. Shapeshifting microbots are even capable of adding or sh- abstracting limbs. But they are limited by body mass and require significant amounts of energy. Shapeshifters tend to double or even triple their food consumption while shifting. The kitsune subculture embraces this technology and mitigates the mass requirements by adding multiple tails to their base forms. The number is generally an indicator of the Kitsune's rank in their skulk. AI. Self-aware artificial intelligence has managed to evade scientists for the past two thousand years, and in any case the Federation has banned research on the subject on the grounds that it would be unethical to make a janitorial bot sentient In all seriousness, any sentient AI would be a product of its creators and a very expensive product at that. If you freed it, would the creators need to be compensated? Many parahumans were wary of the idea given their own origins. However, non-sentient AIs are in common use. In the core, it's rare to find a computer that doesn't have at least one AI program. A related issue is the existence of simulacrums. AI is designed to simulate the personality of a person. The most advanced are are created by brain scans that map neural pathways, but it is possible to create one just by extrapolating from enough recordings or questions about the subject. It's not uncommon for simulacrums to pass the old Turing tests, but the academic community no longer considers that to be proof of sentience if they were truly self-aware they reason simulate would realize they were just machines instead of of endlessly repeating the their originals uh, gins and responses gauss guns magnetic acceleration has become the standard for projectile weaponry The ease of maintenance and variable yield, making them preferred over chemical projectiles once power cells capable of holding enough power were invented. Personal Gauss weapons tend towards one of two types of projectile, needles and discs. Needles have the advantage of being more compact and piercing armor more effectively, but they don't do much damage to tissue or material. Thus, they are often filled with poison or Explosives. Discs, on the other hand, tear through flesh with ease, but are easily stopped by armor. Larger magnetic accelerators use sluds of sizes ranging from half a millimeter to a full meter in diameter. Dedicated warships often have accelerators running almost the entire length of the ship. The Federal Guard's battleships are capable of flinging projectiles at up to three quarters of the speed of light. plasma projector. The electrolaser was a 21st century experiment in less than lethal weaponry. The idea was that a laser could ionize a path of air that an electrical charge could follow to a target. It did not work too well as the plasma had produced let, of done sightly burns on the victims and it was easily blocked by non-conductive or grounded armor. Then someone got the idea of amplifying the heat of the ionized plasma to near-fusing temperatures. The result was a weapon that flash-boiled many soldiers in their own armor. Projectors are still bulky weapons. The smallest is the size of a small kinetic rifle, and most are barely portable by soldiers without powered exoskeletons. Non-Newtonian Armor Throughout the ages, body armor has been generally a choice that reduced the mobility of the wearer, either by stiffening their joints or simple weight. Powered armor reduced the weight issue, but was expensive and still inflexible. One solution that gained some measure of popularity was sheer thickening fluids. Gels or suspensions formulated to form a solid barrier when struck with high levels of force, these could be sandwiched between two layers of flexible material, thin layers of Kevlar for instance, and provide penetration resistance far in excess of armor of the same thickness made from solid material. Non-nude vests proved very effective against kinetic weapons. The small f- holes let fluid escape slowly, but plasma weapons were found to cause the fluid to boil and explode outwards, often harming the wearer. Hull Alloy. So named because they were originally developed as hull material for shuttles. A series of nanofabricated alloys that share the common property of a crystalline structure that allows kinetic and thermal energy to diffuse across the entire structure. This makes items built from hull alloys very strong, but if something does manage to damage them, they tend to disintegrate completely. As hull alloy items need to be fabricated in a single piece it is usually used for small shuttles or smaller items. Hull alloy tools are actually quite popular among traders for sale to Outworlds. These alloys have a variety of names in both the Federation and on Outworlds where they are traded. Adatite, Ginasteel, Vibranius, Molecular Lock. Molecular sale Welds were one of the first uses of constructor microbots. When done properly, they leave no visible seam, and the two pieces effectively form a single hole. It wasn't much of a stretch to apply the technology to locking doors. After all, most conventional locks were physically weaker than the door, but it was by way of simple physics and materials, as are hinges. Using the door to its frame eliminates those weaknesses, but it can sometimes take an hour or more to finish unlocking. For that reason alone, molecular lots are rarely bothered with, say for the highest security areas, or airlocks. Body modification. Tattooing is hard enough to implement with fur, but when you add in regenerative nanotechnology, body modification in general gets a bit difficult. By default, medical microbots are set to maintain the body in peak physical health, which includes rejection in foreign bodies. When implants such as the microbot hive that produces and maintains the microbots, or a BCI, are inserted, they have RFID tags that the microbots are set to ignore. Most other discrete implants like T.L.S. scalping, ocular lenses or ornamental piercings can be similarly tagged, but more spread out insertions require more delicate work. It's fairly common for parahumans to reinforce their skeletons with titanium alloys, similar to the frames that the first generation bioprinted parahumans were built around. This requires the use of specialized microbots to implement in the first place. Once the metals are in place, the patient's symbiotic microbots need to be updated to consider the titanium reinforcement a part of the healthy body. Similar updates can be used to allow for artistic starification, branding, or even to incite the microbots to alter the pigmentation of one's fur in specific path. On Outworlds, many cultures practice the body modifications that can work with fur, feathers, or scales for the usual variety of reasons. Freeze brands are popular on worlds that can maintain the technology. In the Federation, pigment-shift tattoos are popular in some circles, in particular among traders who like to show off their technology to outworlders. Some worlds feature youth countercultures who like to adopt old-fashioned body mods to mimic outworlders, sometimes even inflicting stars that look natural if they want to look tough. The Paraimperium Universe is copyright Joel Kreisman. For more about the Paraimperium setting, please check out paraimperium.wordpress.com If you'd like to contribute to keeping this thing going and get stories and podcasts before anyone else, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash z-a-r-p-a-u-l-u-s Thank you.